to save money for a trip. Coming off the popularity of the Konmari method of tidying up in 2019, it seems Kakebo is the latest in a series of Japanese secrets being introduced to foreign audiences to improve their lives. But it looks like the Japanese know the secret to making it stay in your wallet longer and even multiply there. The Kakebo method of budgeting. Just do a quick internet search for Kakebo. And you'll see a number of books with subtitles such as The Japanese Art of Mindful Spending, The Japanese Art of Saving Money, The Japanese Art of Mindful Budgeting and Saving Money, and The Art and Science of Saving Money, along with dozens of articles and YouTube videos. Could this simple Japanese money trick really make your budgeting life so much easier? I'm going to break down for you the technique of kakibo, which hopefully I've said right, the Japanese technique that I kakibo believe... Kakibo translated literally means household finance ledger. And the you funny know thing that is... the Konmari method is very popular from the Japanese culture, so I want to share another popular belief in the Japanese culture called kakibo. All of this so language of Japanese secrets and secret Japanese arts raise a lot of questions. What is a kakebo and how does it work? What is the history of kakebo and how have they been used in Japan? What do kakebo reveal to us about the role of women in shaping everyday life and cuisine in post-war Japan? And should we be cautious about the way kakebo are being represented in Western media? I'm Tristan Gruno, and this is Japan on the Record. For more on Kakebo and the role of women in shaping post-war Japanese life, I talked with Dr. Hilary Maxson, visiting assistant professor of history at Pacific University. Dr. Maxson is the author of From Motherhood in the Interest of the State to Motherhood in the Interest of Mothers, Rethinking the First Mother's Congress, and Rethinking Japanese Feminisms, published by the University of Hawaii Press in 2017. Dr. Maxson has also recently been researching women's consumerism in post-war Japan through Kakebo. I started by asking Dr. Maxson to tell us more about a kakebo and how it works. Kakebo are personal household account books that are typically kept by women. The contents vary depending on the publisher. There are a lot of different types of kakebo. Some are more intricate and some can be pretty basic, but they typically contain a 12-month layout with dated monthly and weekly spreads. They kind of look like a planner. Each calendar date has its own column that is divided into two categories, purchased item and cost, which is intersected by various labeled rows. The first row usually is labeled something along the lines of food expenses. So typically food expenses are allotted the most space in any given kakebo. But other rows also include things like furniture, utility bills, clothing, transportation, school expenses, toiletries, etc. Some kakebo have tons of specific rows marked, so food categories can be quite detailed. So there might be individual rows for meat, fish, dairy, sweets, fruit, alcohol, etc. One of the kakebo I have includes only two rows, food and everything else. So again, there's a lot of different kakebo out on the market. In terms of how it's used today, Hard copy kakebo that you can buy in bookstores and other locations are still pretty popular. As an anecdote, in January, I was in Yamagata and went to a co-op on January 2nd, and all of their kakebo were sold out. So I actually had to go to a second store to get their version of their kakebo. In addition to the hard copy kakebo, kakebo smartphone applications are also becoming pretty popular. So the co-op that I worked with during my research, uh, U Co-op, has a Kakebo app, and there's quite a few other ones as well. 
I've also spoken with Japanese men and women who use Kakebo apps. Could you give us maybe a typical daily entry for those of us who are unfamiliar with the Kakebo and how it works? Right. So a daily entry might look something like, for example, if a woman woke up in the morning and took a bus, you would see、uh, the bus fee to get to the location she was going. If she went food shopping, we might see something like miso paste, some sort of fish product, maybe some sweets or ice cream for her children or her family. We might also see some alcohol for her husband, although it's possible that her husband went out to drink alcohol as part of his allowance with his work buddies. She might go to the bathhouse for the day, so that fee would be posted on there as well. She might pick up any other. You know, non food items. So, soap, for example, might show up in the kakebo. And then she might take you know, another bus to go home. From there, you know, we might just see utility fees or any bills she might have paid for that day. So, the sense I get of the kakebo then and how it's used is a little bit different than what we're seeing in the West is you know, people being mindful of expenses and a way to kind of meditate about daily life. But I am curious, you know, in your research on kakebo and how they're used historically, you've talked about how we can look at kakebo to even recreate the daily life and cuisine of post war Japan. Can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, of course. I should start off by saying that the history of household budget keeping in Japan is gendered. So, starting in the late 19th century, the Meiji period,、uh, proponents of a new gender ideology called Ryosai Kenbo, or Good Wife, Wise Mother, emphasized that wives should be in charge of household expenditures. In the early 20th century, women's magazines began to refine the details of this gendered household budgeting system. So, Japan's first female journalist, Hani Motoko, and her husband, Hani Yoshikazu, founded the magazine Fujin no Tomo, or Woman's Friend. And the magazine printed a lot of articles on budgeting. In 1904, the magazine published the first kakebo under Hani Motoko's name. And it's still in publication today. I have a copy of Hani Motoko's kakebo on my shelf now. Initially, Hani advertised the kakebo to men and women. But over time, Woman's Friend ran articles that started to emphasize household budgeting as the housewife's domain. And by 1928, Hani Motoko released a collection of writings. And in these writings, she asserted that a husband should hand over his entire paycheck to his wife, effectively putting his wife in charge of all household income and expenditures. So this is known today as the Okozukai system, where men get an allowance from their wives. And that's practiced to this day in high numbers, more than 50% of couples in Japan, and it is connected to the history of Kakebo. Kakebo became more popular in the post war period as other women's magazines, aside from Woman's Friend, began to push Kakebo in their articles. So they wrote a lot of articles on household budgeting, and they also began to print their own Kakebo as well. And other publishers even began to sell their versions of Kakebo. Kakebo were also distributed in women's groups. So, women's consumer organizations like the Housewives Association used them in the late 1940s. And we see women using them in higher numbers in the 1960s and 1970s. Many women throughout the country began to form what were called household groups, where they discussed Kakebo, and leaders in the group would even examine the Kakebo of other women in the group and take information from them to compile for their notes. Often these groups were connected to grocery co ops. And this is to say that Kakebo became a way for women to engage with other women in their communities 
And since they were often associated with co-ops, kakebo also share a connection with food activism. I use kakebo in my research to examine Japanese history from different angles, including food activism, but also kakebo tell us a lot of information about the kinds of foods women were buying. So we can see them experimenting with newly popular food items. So for example, bread during the occupation, more meat in the post-war, the 1950s and 1960s, and even whale as the whaling industry took off in the 1950s. I also use kakebo to look at how women conceptualized meals because the food categories in kakebo tell us how women categorize their purchases. For example, many kakebo use staple food and side dish structures in their pages of the kakebo. So women can place the items they purchase under these respective categories, telling us how they are approaching meal planning. One of the most interesting things I saw in the kakebo of a woman's personal life experience was the dates of when her children were born. So the day that her child was born, you can see in the kakebo, she wrote down that she went to the hospital and there was also a fee, for example, for the taxi. So when I saw that information in the kakebo, I wondered, was that taxi for her husband? Was that for her? How exactly did she get to the hospital that day? So to see that sort of personal information in the kakebo, um, it's just really exciting. In your earlier answer, you were talking about how this history of kakebo and the history of household finance was really gendered. And so could you talk about how kakebo give us a glimpse of not only post-war everyday life, but also about how women and housewives were instrumental in shaping this everyday life in post-war Japan? Right. I think that the fact that many women had control over their husband's incomes and recorded household income and expenditures in kakebo should push us to think and rethink about the ways in which women and housewives were instrumental in shaping everyday life in post-war Japan. Women and women's groups are often characterized as sort of helpers and followers. We don't tend to view them as leaders in their own right or central to the history of everyday life. And I try to challenge that view with my research on kakebo. So part of my work examines the life work of housewife activist Nakamura Kimiko, who lived in Yokohama. She wrote in her kakebo almost every day from the mid-1950s to the early 2000s, and then donated her kakebo to the National Women's Education Center in Saitama. Nakamura attended a household group run by a co-op in 1968, and from then on she became a leader in this group because she was such a kakebo expert. She became part of their kakebo movement, which culminated in the data that she and her colleagues compiled being presented to the Diet in 1974. In Nakamura's case, her kakebo keeping and accounting skills that came from kakebo keeping really helped her become relevant and important to local and national politics. She also had incredible community building skills and leadership skills because she worked so intimately with her colleagues to track commodity prices in their communities together. And a lot of these women were interested in fighting back against inflation at the time. They also fought for various food safety initiatives. So there's especially interest in getting certain dyes and products out of packaged foods. I think Nakamura is an example of a broader pattern of women's civic engagement that we see not just in Yokohama, but around Japan in the 1960s and 70s. And I think that there's a lot of overlap with kakebo keeping and co-ops. I also love the fact that Nakamura Kimiko donated her kakebo to an archive because she herself knew the significance of her own kakebo, which I think is so empowering. I and I think Nakamura see kakebo as a form of women's writing that is important to the historical record. 
I noticed there's a lot of videos on YouTube talking about Kakebo as this kind of ancient Japanese secret. And international awareness, or maybe you could say the popularity of Kakebo recently, seems to fall into a pattern of what might otherwise be considered mundane Japanese practices that are now being repackaged and resold to foreign, and especially American, middle-class consumers as Japanese secrets that will make their lives easier. And in doing so, they almost kind of harken back to these stereotypical depictions of inscrutable, ancient, mystic, oriental secrets now being domesticated in the West. So first, I, I'm curious, you know, you mentioned that you personally do use Kakebo, but as a scholar who researches Kakebo, I'm curious what your reaction to this kind of misrepresentation of mundane Japanese practices is. That's a wonderful question. This year, I'm actually not using a Kakebo. I'm hoping that my, my future better self will keep a diligent Kakebo. This is kind of embarrassing, but I'm currently actually using Dave Ramsey's uh, budget app to keep track of my budget. But hopefully a Kakebo will be in my future. I do collect them, though, to show to my students in the classroom. For me, the way in which Kakebo are being you know, pitched to Western audiences is, for lack of a better word, shallow. Three particular pitches come to mind that I've seen sort of thrown around in the YouTube sphere or in articles I've seen on Kakebo. So first, the idea that a Kakebo is an art form. In my opinion, Kakebo keeping isn't exactly an art form. And this isn't to say that I'm sure some women keep beautiful Kakebo. And I have seen some on Instagram that look rather incredible. But I, I want to emphasize that historically, Kakebo keeping was a form of unpaid domestic intellectual labor that was expected of women. And while many women found empowerment and community in kakebo keeping, and I think that's wonderful, many women found them vexing and didn't want to keep a kakebo. It's hard work, and we can't forget that part of kakebo keeping and the labor that comes with that. So we, we want to keep that in mind. The second pitch that I've heard is that Western culture or American culture is inherently flawed and that Japanese culture somehow has the secrets to alleviating problems like financial anxiety. And I struggle with this because it tends to sever any connection or empathy that Americans might feel for Japanese who also struggle with finances and stress about budgeting. Kakebo keeping became popular in post-war Japan when many families lived in poverty. And as I'm sure many listeners know, nowadays, many young Japanese men and women have very low salaries despite working a ridiculous number of hours in a week. Many Japanese feel that they do not make enough money to start a family, and many are concerned about having enough money saved for retirement. I think kakebo are great budgeting tools, and budgeting can be empowering and make people feel like they have a sense of control over their finances, and this is good. But we have to keep in mind that Japanese people are stressed about money too, perhaps more so than your average American. So we could be looking for shared experiences of humanity with Asia rather than ancient mystic secrets from Asia, as you put it. The third pitch that I've heard that I struggle with is kakebo keeping as mindfulness. The history of politics and consumer activism that is connected to kakebo in Japan is what I find so compelling and worth researching. So to hear this political history and this political connection to kakebo being exchanged for apolitical mindfulness language in the West is disconcerting. 
Women's consumer groups dating back to the 1940s used Kakebo to track the prices of consumer goods to keep track of inflation and push back against inflation. This rich history of women's activism in Asia is being whitewashed for the sake of Western wellness industry drivel, or whatever you would like to call it. And that's a shame. I'm Tristan Gruno, and this has been Japan on the Record, the podcast for scholars of Japan bring their expertise to bear on issues in the news. Hosted and produced by Tristan Gruno of the Council on East Asian Studies at Yale University. Thank you for listening.